You're listening to the American Soccer Analysis Show. Dude, you're, you're the Tommy McNamara of podcasting. It's great. Thank you. Wait, what? With your hosts, Ian Lamberson. If you say one more bad thing about my growler, I'm going to cut you. And Harrison Crow. Patrick Mullins is what happens when you least expect it. From the kickoff to the shootout, we're amped up, we're ramped up, for a breakaway. Hello, everybody, and yes, welcome to the American Soccer Analysis Show. I'm your host, Ian Lamberson. With me, as always, a man. It's been gone the last two weeks looking for his ex place in the sun. It's Harrison Crow. Welcome back, buddy. Hey, man, what's up? Yeah, hey, it's good to be back. It's good to kind of have the virtual seat back. To have the virtual seat back. We did miss you. We did miss you. Um, I, I hope you got a, uh, whatever it was you were doing, I hope you did it. And uh, it, it was it was, it was was worth taking two weeks away from the most important thing in your life, which is the American Soccer Analysis Show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, knocked out what I needed to do. And then uh, big thanks to Jared for stepping up and uh, and coming on the show. Hopefully, uh, that'll be something that uh, can happen while I'm here because uh, I d- yeah. do not get enough time to talk with him. He's a, he's a fun guy to, uh, to have the chats with. Jared brought a lot of research to the table and it made my job a lot easier. Uh, <laughs> really do appreciate Jared uh, for, for, um, for filling in for the last couple of weeks. But uh, now you have been talking to me on the internet uh, using chat programs and Twitter um, to, 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 to talk a lot about, to talk about a lot of things. I feel like you've built up some, some things you want to talk about over the last couple of weeks. And so we've got a very uh, full docket today and, I don't think we got time to waste with any more pleasantries. I think we just get right into it. Let's do, let's jump. All right, you know where we start, right? Uh, with the interesting start of the day. I'm not. I haven't been gone that long. Interesting okay, stat of the just week. Just make sure. Interesting stat of the week. They call this one all about Kendall Waston. Uh, and in fact, this stat of the week was brought to you by, I guess, Kendall Waston. And uh, I don't. Well, I, I know what he would want me to. Let's throw it. Let's throw it out to. Let's dedicate it to somebody because I think that uh, Brenton Walters did, was the one that really was interested in this, and, and he w- is what kind of uh, poked me to to kind of uh, do the research behind this. Yes, 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 yes. We had a lot of people point out uh, that Kenna Watson had an unusual night. Um, thank you to, to, to Brenton, and I think Jacob was another one that said this to me as well. Anyway. It was noteworthy. It was a noteworthy uh, evening. Uh, just looking at his performance uh, against Houston, Washington, man of the match, scoring a goal, assisting a goal, and taking five shots from inside the box. That's crazy for a center back. Yeah, uh, These were good enough uh, for very healthy 0.785 expected goals. Um, and we put this in our little uh, uh, record-keeping uh, device, uh, Excel and uh, found that it wasn't actually even the highest XG production from a center back this season. Uh, and that honor would go to a guy called Bastian Schweinsteiger, who produced 1.03 in that thrilling 2-2 draw with Chicago back in April. Remember that? It's a good game. Um, was. Now, Schweinsteiger did this mainly on a technicality because he did something we don't see center backs do, which is take a penalty kick. And he missed. And uh, he also headed in a, a goal from a corner kick, which is just basically right on top of the goal line. So that's how he managed uh, to best Boston's effort. But in my opinion, I'm an open play guy. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. We stripped these penalties for conversations like this because I feel like Kendall Boston's five shot was a much grittier and more uh, 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 performance of the people. You know what I'm saying? No elite penalties for that guy. He actually got it done uh, with his head. Uh, so, uh, he also had the assist as well. He got it done with the foot, running running balls down to Jose you know, Aha. You know what? Schweinsteiger got an assist too that day. So, <laughs> but uh, listen, both great defenders. Uh, one of which is one we're talking about today. Uh, congratulations to Kendall Waston on uh, being the, the the subject of our Saturday of the week. Uh, Kendall, reach out to us, and I will send you a prize. Um, Harrison. You did some writing on Kendall Watson. What can we what can we learn about Kendall Watson from stuff like this? Is this an unusual thing? Um, in general, yeah. So he's been the most prolific going back to 2015, which is when we started collecting uh, positional uh, specific data. So um, 
you talked about Bastian Schweinsteiger, and I think it's really uh, it's a great jumping off point, right? Because all of our data says that he. Well, not all of our data, obviously, but it, for that specific day, says that he started at center back. You know, they, mm-hmm, they, mm-hmm. Chicago had that three-man back line. That, uh, as you pointed out, you, the first thing you said back to me through the chat was he did not stay at center back that entire game. <laughs> yeah, no, he, there was there was uh, there was a lot there where Chicago were chasing the uh, the match towards the end of the game, and Schweinsteiger found himself, uh, you know, nominally a center back at best. Exactly, exactly. So um, positionally, uh, we don't have these full, really rich data sets that say, hey, um, we've identified this is a defensive player based upon uh, events that are occurring within the uh, defensive third or within this positional structure. I would love to get to a point to where we're doing some sort of data mining and we're uh, basically creating positions based off of um, the event data that we that we collect and and really just where that person's kind of occupying space. I think that that would be uh, spatial positioning is really what I'd like to start seeing. However, we don't have that data. We don't collect it um, really hard to then, uh, you know, fold it into. So what we have is what coaches say that they're doing. You know, organizations put out a list and say, hey, this person's starting at this position, whether it's fullback, whether it's, uh, you know, center back, whether it's central midfield. We That's what we have is what they tell us, right? Whatever occurs on the MLS website. So back going back to 2015 is when we started collecting this data. We're now in 2018. So we have roughly uh, four, uh, three and a half seasons. I have three and a third, mm-hmm. three, mm-hmm. Yeah, something like that. Uh, right. Worth of, uh, so if we go back to 2015, we can just basically on our nice interactive graph there on American soccer analysis.com, you can strip all other positions and just look at central defenders and looking specifically at Kendall Waston, we can see not only is he the leader, but he is a head higher ha, 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 mm-hmm. um, than the next individual, which is Steve Birnbaum. Uh, he's just really good. And, and a lot of that is coming off of dead balls. And I, it, even all that coming off dead balls, he's only getting about 9% of Vancouver's total um, dead ball situations. Like he's only, he's only winning shots 9% of the time. That's not to say we don't know who they're targeting, obviously, especially in, you know, free kick situations or uh, set pieces. Free kicks are more uh, from, let's say, Giovinco taking a shot from a dead ball situation versus a set piece where, you know, you have a play going on and you're trying to basically put the ball in for a specific individual or sets of individuals to make a move. Um, I would like to see Vancouver personally kind of take advantage of this. Um, Kendall Waston has historically won 70% of his aerial attempts, duels. That's outstanding. Yeah, I mean, it's incredibly high. I We don't have necessarily the full data scope to put that against, but if you compare him compare that to um the strikers that um you know <laughs> vancouver has gainfully employed over the past yeah. uh same time frame none of them have even produced a season over 50 percent um so <laughs> well i mean kai's probably gonna get that right kamara being the one exception this season however even this season um you know they haven't necessarily seen an uptick in their opportunities that uh aerial opportunities like even with adding Kamara they've not necessarily I I think we've talked about this in the past right Um, they're pretty much still status quo about winning those crosses yeah 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 we wrote I wrote about this a few weeks ago for for ASA uh, and the instruction errors we talked about Vancouver um, and we did discover uh, that Vancouver mainly crosses the ball that's sort of their thing Uh, and it is interesting because I mean, to leverage Kendall Waston more in those situations, it would really require some pretty uh, creative thinking from Carl Robinson. And I just, I don't know. That seems like something he's kind of resisted doing in the past, uh, is thinking outside of a very specific box uh, that he likes. So, I, I would be curious to see what you have in mind for him. Because obviously, in addition to being really good offensively, he's one of the best center backs in the league. You don't want to lose him on your back line. Yeah, I- 
he definitely is really good as far as being a physical presence. Um, he has a high percentage of his tackles, uh, I believe. Uh, I looked at this, you know, last night, so uh, forgive me if that's incorrect. Um, listen, Waston is a physically imposing person, and he definitely can mark um, some individuals like Fernando Adi out of the game, right? They, they've had moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you have to kind of be wise about how you're doing this. You're probably not going to do that uh, when you're up a game state or even when uh, you have even game states. But if you're chasing the game, um, especially as the game goes on, you're talking about the last 20 minutes, I, I would think possibly maneuvering and changing that up might make some sense, um, especially when you talk about, well, we're going to go ahead and the main tactic which we employ is, as you just said, Ian, crossing that ball into the middle of the park. Let's put our two best lumbering um, trees right there in the middle, uh, Kai Kamara mm-hmm. and then Kendall Austin. And let's just start praying. Let's just raining balls in. And really, it's kind of interesting um, looking at other individuals that were high up in winning shot opportunities from set pieces. Tim Parker was also up there. Um, and I think that that kind of also speaks to the fact of, um, now with Jose Aja, what Vancouver's kind of aiming for in terms of, um, how they, they want to early dominate games. And so I don't think they necessarily have the right passers to, to do that. And, you know, whether or not that's even a great tactic, I think is a conversation to kind of set aside. This is what they've chosen to do. How might they do that best is kind of what we're looking at. Um, I think Watson needs to get forward more on set pieces. I don't know if he's not in enough of them, but 9% seemed really low to me. Yeah, I, you'd think he would be. I mean, anecdotally speaking, just based off my recollection of things, he generally, I think, does get moved up there a lot. Um, so I'm not sure what's going on with his positioning on those, but 9% does seem low because he is very good at winning headers. Um, it is, intri- it's an, it's, a, it's an intriguing idea. And I know we've seen some teams, uh, kind of employ that sort of, um, ad hoc, uh, roaming, uh, big defender. Uh, we've seen Seattle do it with Roman Torres. Uh, it, it seems like Vancouver would, would, would be, uh, you know, it would behoove them to kind of switch things around and just, I know, like, as a, if I were a central defender and I had been, uh, you know, in charge of just marking Kai Kamara and then all of a sudden you throw Kendall Watson into the mix late in the game, that's going to trouble me a little bit. Well, and uh, we kind of, the aforementioned Steve Birnbaum has done that quite effectively for DC United, yes. right? Yes, yes, yes. Um, so that, that's another, but I, I don't think either of them. Uh, one name I was really surprised to see that hasn't come up is Ike Opara, although Ike Opara had two really good games this season with uh, plus uh, 0.41 and uh, 0.40 in terms of uh, expected goal performances, which are above the uh, attacking median, the attacking median being about 0.35 per game for attackers. So I feel like you see Ike almost... Up here, like I, 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 I sort of spot him a lot in these kind of situations, like popping up out wide and delivering balls, which is kind of weird. Uh, but it's you know, it's not unprecedented either. Uh, it's just an interesting decision. I think you're just giving these players more license uh, to kind of move about freely, and that's kind of where you know he finds the ball and finds space. Um, one one last like little thing that I think is kind of interesting. If we we have our list of like the the center backs that have performed above the median level for attackers in terms of expected goals this year. And there's only yeah. one team. Well, I'm sorry. There's two teams that repeat and that's Minnesota. And then there's Colorado. Hmm. And <laughs> Minnesota I, and Colorado are like eternally locked in like these weird battles of stats. And uh, they're constantly trading each other players. I, I think at one point in the near future, Minnesota and Colorado are just going to become one uh, lower tier Western Conference team. They're just going to merge Lotto. into one. Minnesota. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Keep the Loons branding and give uh, that weird home field advantage that Colorado Rapids have. And I think we got a winning team right there. Yeah. Well, we're going to get to them here in a, here in a second, right? Yep. 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 Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, speaking of Kendall Waston 
and set pieces. I have in my notes here that you want to discuss set pieces. What have you brought for us today, Harrison? Well, honestly, uh, I kind of want to pick your brain a little bit more than anything. This is kind of just a freeform conversation. This is stuff that I've just been kind of thinking a a little bit about. Um, One thing that we've kind of talked about roughly is Toronto has been really good over the past a few years with their set pieces and not necessarily set pieces, but they pretty much utilized every dead ball situation as an opportunity to, to score a goal. Um, and that sounds, that's like we, we play to win the game. Um, they've utilized and leveraged those opportunities to create the best shot that they possibly can. And most of that is just actually going straight at goal directly from Giovinco or uh, in, in some odd cases, either Victor Vasquez or uh, uh, Josie uh, um, Altador has, has taken it. So, you have that frame of mind, but then the other side of it is you have Vancouver, and then you also have teams like Houston who are getting rather inventive with their uh, kind of the way that they're positioning players and creating space um, throughout the final third to try to open up different opportunities for players. I'm just kind of curious as to what you think is kind of going on in the in the realm of MLS and these. How do we measure and how do we separate these these different um, these different pieces, these different uh, or uh, these different pieces, these different set pieces, right? How do we kind of separate them apart from what they're trying to do? How do you know? what they're targeting. It's, it's really difficult, difficult from a data perspective to look at this and just see this fail. All you're seeing is this zero, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a, that's a good question. And it's something I think about a lot. I remember a couple of years ago, we saw uh, the New York Red Bulls uh, score a few goals off of very uh, unusual, but you know, cleverly worked set piece routines, you know, with fake runs and people overlapping each other. And, uh, you know, I don't necessarily think that MLS teams should go the way of like the mighty ducks for trick plays or anything like that. (laughs) But at the same time, you know, teams generally, it's not hard. You have a basic idea where it's generally going to go and where it's going to go is towards the, 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 like the penalty spot. Um, and you're going to try to get your tall guys on the end of it. And knowing that, uh, makes it easier to defend against that, I think. Uh, I think anything that's expected is easier to defend. That being said, um, we are starting to see some teams try some different things. And I I know that, you know, once you do a set-piece routine, a crazy one like New York used to do, uh, it's kind of over. You're not going to fall for that same thing twice. So, you got to be kind of careful where you deploy them. Uh, I remember one of the ballsiest things I think I've ever seen a coach do... Uh, it was the U.S. men's national team, actually, uh, against Belgium. Remember that? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, we, we talked about this the other day in Slack. Yeah, it was a very, um, you know, this is a gut check time. You know, this wasn't really a time where you expect to do something quirky or um, innovative. Like, you know, you wanted to kind of do the safe thing to get the shot on goal. Uh, but they, they tried a, a really complicated set piece routine, and it, it really, really almost worked. Uh, Dempsey probably with a much better chance than even Wondolowski got later uh, that we all remember. Um, we'll try to post that gif uh, with this show. Uh, it is a really interesting thing to remember that that happened. Uh, so, I think it's really cool. And, and at that same time, the reason why that almost worked is because there was nobody in the stadium that thought that was something that was going to happen. Um, I just kind of feel like it would be good of teams to have one or two of those kind of in their locker that they can kind of pull out at, at, at a time where it seems like they wouldn't do it. It's like a, a regular, like an American football team uh, kicking off, you know, the half and using an onside kick. It works because like, who does that? Uh, it, it's just a clever use of things. And obviously you got to pick and choose your moments when it's time to do it. But, but I, I would love to see teams get more inventive with these. Well, and we talked about this, the or not you and I, but rather uh, I talked about this with, I think, Total Football the other day, where we were talking about just having one specific, you, you talked about it, like changing up once you do one set set piece routine, you, 
you have to change it up. I mean, people know what's coming. And yeah. this is something that, you know, we've talked about with, uh, I've talked about it with a, with a couple different teams um, that they're like, hey, we study set piece routines. We've studied this team. We know that was coming. We knew that, uh, you know, player X is going to take this move, that that's, that's their go-to thing. But, you know, Total Football and I, we're, we're both talking about this. And, and why not? If you're really good at it, if you have like, you know, maybe you maybe you call like at the line of scrimmage, you have, <laughs> you know, you pick out, OK, hey, they're on to this. So we're going to have a slight variation and we're going to call this blue. Um, and I'm curious to know and I wish that we had, you know, a little bit more uh, <laughs> to kind of go to for teams and how coaches go about this, because honestly, I feel like more teams should be doing more with their dead ball situations. I feel so uninspired by all these attempts. I just see lots of failed attempts looking at this and it's really hard for me to sift through the data and it's really, and vice versa. It's really hard for us to try to even capture, you know, the video on all these attempts so that we can kind of try to diagnose what's going to happen. So it's kind of, instead we end up not doing anything with these set pieces at all in terms of real um, analysis and it becomes really difficult. So I I would love to hear if there's any coaches or any type of uh, people that do regular set piece um, work either in MLS and college. I would love to hear from, maybe it would be really nice to have uh, before AJ goes off to the women's national team. It'd be really nice maybe to have him on the, on the, um, on the podcast and we maybe um, talk about some of the set the pieces that they've done. That. Yeah. They're at uh, Virginia. I know he had a couple of different uh, really good examples um from uh, that he had mentioned in Slack, that would be really interesting to hear from. But really, honestly, this is this was all I wanted to talk about was because I feel like uh, this is stuff that we've kind of danced around. But um, honestly, this is such a conundrum from from my perspective and the analysis perspective that I've heard. It's really hard to uh, to try to materialize real good um, analysis. Yeah, I think it's kind of one of those things where a lot of coaches are, um, you know, if the trick play gets busted, you look pretty stupid and you've wasted a chance and it feels more like you've you've wasted a chance than if you just tried the, you know, in swinging ball towards the, you know, towards the keeper, kind of trying to create some chaos in that situation, trying to nod it on from your tall guy to the back post. You know, these are things that we're going to see. They're safe plays. We expect them. Nobody gets mad if they get missed. They're just a thing that happens. Um, you know, you start trying some wacky stuff and it doesn't go right. People are going to be like, what is that coach thinking? And so I get that there's a, there might be some bias against doing something like that from a coach's perspective because it is a very uh, good way to draw attention to something that failed. Um, but, you know, it, it's one of these things that when we talk about, you look at what teams invest in and, and then they invest in you know, these guys that can score goals, they invest a lot of money into attackers. And, and, and like you look at Major League Soccer, this is where almost all of our DPs are in that attacking zone because the whole idea is to create more goals. And set pieces are such a rich vein that you can strike from. And you don't really need people that are, uh, you know, these designated player level, you know, Brazilian tens to like score goals on set pieces if you just plan them better. Um, if you just have these routines and kind of do something like that. So it seems like a lower like salary team could look at these and maybe look to leverage them more as a way to kind of take advantage uh, of these game, of these situations that come up so many times in every game. Uh, you know, it, it, we, we just don't see it a lot. And I, I guess I'm, I'm with you. I would like to know more about like what goes into the planning of these things. Are there actually very, uh, subtle but important uh, little routines that they're doing right now. They just kind of look like the same play to us because we don't know enough. Uh, we don't know like who's switching off markers. Well, we don't know like what the strategy is going into it. I don't know. No, well, exactly. And I feel like sometimes we get uh, we look at things from not necessarily a results perspective because that's kind of that's especially dangerous when you're looking at it purely from results. But we're looking at it from a process overall, right? Did this happen to create a shot? Was that shot high leverage? Was it low leverage? When you talk about like, you know, the the safe 
call being, oh, I'm just going to do a, an in, in swing cross and we're going to target the back post and we're going to send our biggest, baddest goon at that post. Is that really, I mean, is that really your highest leverage? I mean, that might be safe, but that might be safe from the perspective of pundits. But is it really your best chance? That's like that's why I have this affinity right now for Toronto and what they've been doing, and why I feel like uh, you know there has to be some way to utilize Kai Kamara or Kai Kamara, uh, Kendall Waston better, um, and Kai Kamara. I mean, having both those guys that win a high volume of their aerial chances, there has to be a way to set those guys up better, and so. Um, I feel like sometimes coaches get very well. He didn't set a pick here and that's why this failed. Well, probably not why it failed. There might be, you know, we get stuck on one final thing. I'll give you an example. Um, Doing lowered expectations. um, Ola Kamara took the, the top crown and he does a really great thing. And just kind of biding his time, positionally putting himself in between himself, uh, Maynard Figueroa, Jimmy Maurer, and he checks himself, knows what his space is. And when he takes the shot, instead of just powering it past and, and just driving it up into the corner, he drives it low and it just deflects right off Maurer. Maurer has an easy save. We don't see like that. I mean, it's a thin line. The processes there were all correct. Like we know the pass down to Ashley Cole made a great run. The the pass by Zlatan to get it to Ashley Cole on that run was perfect. The positioning from Ola Kamara was great. We can see all that stuff. We need to just repeat. That's that rinse, wash, repeat. Yeah, it's one of those situations where you look at that and go, okay, well, Nine times out of ten, like that's in the back of the net. So let's do that ten times if we can. <laughs> right? <laughs> like no, the, yeah, it's, and it's just, yeah, just try to try that repeatability of it, right? Yeah, uh, and that, that, that's what's especially interesting about set pieces is because you have so much more control over the variables there that you actually can create the situation where you'll have very similar looks. The ball might be five yards this way or that way. Yes, uh, but you know, it's a set play. It's a thing you can stop. You control like where the ball's going to go. You control where all your players are going to be. To a certain degree, you can also sort of force defenders into certain locations as well. Uh, one of the things that me, uh, we were talking about, it's something I'm very curious about, is I love it when the attacking team puts a guy in the defensive wall. It You don't see it often, um, but, it, but it always just creates a little bit of chaos in that situation. Defenders are kind of like, what's this guy doing here? And, uh, you know, your attacker can duck, giving you like a nice hole to, to shoot through. Um, it, it just creates a, a little bit of, of, of unease amongst the goalkeeper who's like now trying to sight it. And uh, he's got this guy that can kind of just put his arms up and kind of do things to sort of, uh, you know, block, block the view, just makes things more difficult. And yet we don't see teams do that very often. And uh, I don't know if there's a very good reason for it. I, I definitely... Um, I'm not a coach. Uh, so, I, I, yeah, I, I echo your call to anybody that has some insight on this to reach out to us uh, that wants to talk about set piece development. We would we would definitely like to hear from you. Yeah. So, <laughs> we I beat that horse. Thank you for engaging me. Though. No, no, no. Yeah, I love I'm... talking about set pieces. It's, it's something we do an awful lot. <laughs> Maybe we should design our own set pieces. That could be our business. That that could be our business. I can I, I could definitely put ASA on the on the map. Yeah, I'm gonna get a, I'm gonna get FIFA out later tonight and design some set pieces for us, <laughs> um, <laughs> like all the professionals do. Uh, all right, let's move on from set pieces and let's talk about. <clears throat> it's been so long since we've talked, uh, and since then things have. Um, well, things in the East have stayed more or less the same. The the the, the good teams are still good. The the, the middle tier teams are still mid tier. Uh, the West is kind of becoming a very interesting place right now, and I'm just kind of curious because uh, <clears throat> we haven't talked in so long. Like, what what's your impression of how things are going here? Like, what what's the Western Conference look like to you right now? You know, so uh, I went on a uh, friend of uh, ASA. Um, podcast Casey McLean uh went on the Casey McLean show and you know I I just said it how I kind of 
think of it right now is the West really doesn't have any great teams. Um, I think LAFC could be great, but I mean, you have four good teams and then you have just this rubble, this just this remainder, if you will, um, that really, I think anything can really come from. Um, I, I, I wouldn't rule anyone out. I don't think I, w- I would rule Colorado or San Jose out. Um, I think there's still a lot of soccer left and those two spots are up for grabs to whomever. Um, but those top four right now, I just, I, I have a hard time seeing anyone kind of, uh, kind of drop from that. Well, and I mean, this is all still kind of theoretical at this point too. I, I, I assume the teams, um, I mean, I think Sporting Kansas City is one of those teams. Uh, LAFC that you mentioned, uh, I think probably Dallas has been been pretty good. I don't know. I call Dallas a great team, but they they're getting results. They're a very very good team. Uh, certainly more like what we've seen in the past than last year. And then uh, XG wise, uh, Houston's really strong, but results wise, they've been very very poor. Um, not very poor. They're like three three and three, but you know, underwhelming considering how much advantage they have. Uh, you know, in those expected goal departments. You think that that's, that's what the, what it's going to look like at the end of the season? Is, is those four teams? I, I think, yeah, I think Houston's going to trend towards the top. Um, I, I think that LAFC will kind of, I don't think they'll stay in that two point uh, game range, but I think they're going to, you know, I think they'll probably be rather high. And, you know, who's to say that I think that they, <sighs> They're going to beat up on some bad teams. And look, the West, the West, as I already said, there's four good teams. The rest are, are a rebel or really kind of garbage. And, and you know, um, not to like oh, cast not, stones. Not but garbage. Come now. Come now. Brother, I, I, I wish, you know, <laughs> I, I wish I could be nicer about it. Um, Colorado right now, not good. RSL, they, they've had a minor tick up, but they're still the single worst expected goal difference team right now, even after having, you know, a favorable result. So, um, and that's just in the West. I mean, DC United's still much yeah. worse off than well, them. But we'll talk about them later. <laughs> um, right now, RSL is kind of sitting at the bottom of the barrel and they're I think in a playoff spot right now and I use that term kind of lightly right <laughs> they are but they're they uh, you know the, the Houston has like two less games played than everybody else and so they'd probably I don't know based on points per game I think you could put them there I think you could put Minnesota there based on points per game last I checked I'd have Min- to look at that again Minnesota's interesting yeah all right but but I mean come now like obviously the Sounders aren't a garbage team. They're just hurt. Portland isn't a garbage team. They're just... <sighs> you, you, okay, so, you know, t- totally fair about that. But the question is with uh, Portland. Portland's starting to figure some things out. Yeah, um, I, I, I will totally Four give on the you trot. that. Four wins on the trot for Portland. Uh, yeah. Um, our metrics still don't love them. Um, they're still in the negative and expected goal differential. Um, I like Portland a lot. I think the pieces that they have... Um, if they can get David Guzman healthy, um, I think Liam Ridgewell is starting to look um, less bad. Um, yeah, Fernando Adi isn't Fernando Adi of 2015, 2016, but he's still really good. Um, and then Valeri is just a complete difference maker. I mean, I, I don't. Well, the guy's yeah, just so I mean, good. Like, yeah, it, but I mean, even for this year, I think you know, it's it's more. It's more Blanco, who just is benefiting from not being Valeri, who's somebody that everybody can kind of key into right now. Well, that's what's been really good about uh, Savarisi kind of setting them up. The, basically, uh, Valeri and Blanco are occupying the same space, but they're just doing it at different times. And yeah. being that they were kind of working off of it's it's very kind of uh, Clint Dempsey, uh, um, um, Obafemi Martins-esque, and just how they're just kind of <laughs> but at a very different place on the it, field. It, it is. It's, it is at a different pl- place. And it's, it's not as exciting and it's not as dynamic. But it, it's, this re- it's this very symbiotic relationship that the two both are kind of playing off of. And so far, at least in the last month, it's really starting to come together and it's starting to kind of uh, gel. 
I think Portland probably uh, has mine for that fifth, sixth spot. Um, if they can keep, if they can continue to trend positively, they're a very interesting team. They have all the talented pieces. Um, I like Jeff Antonella better than I like Jake Gleason. So um, I think all the right moves are there. I still am not sure about uh, playing Liam Ridgewell back there, but um, Larry's Mubala has has been pretty good. Yeah, I mean, if there's anything to point at in that team, it's the defense. It always has been the defense, and it probably will continue to be the defense. Um, They're better. They have great games. They have solid efforts. uh, But overall, in the course of things, if Portland start dropping points a lot, it's not going to be because of Diego Valeri and Fernando Adi. It's going to be because of that defense. Um, can Savarisi find a way to like make this pairing work? Uh, I hope so. That's they're a very expensive pairing for what they are. Uh, you know, I, you'd think that that would be something that he would uh, definitely be focused on. Uh, but yeah, they seem to be improving. They are four games, four wins in a row. Uh, that is a trend and, upwards. And, and in those to- four games, they have averaged. 0.9 expected goals against from the run of play. Yeah, which there you go. Low, uh, what, I think that's second lowest in the Western Conference aside from LAFC. So. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I, I guess if we're going to just... So, you got, your, you got your four, and I'm with you on the four. I think those four will be in the playoffs, no question. I think Sporting Kansas City is extremely strong this year. I think they're only going to get stronger when Felipe Gutierrez comes back from injury. Uh, LAFC seem to be the real deal. Like they keep putting the points up. They keep playing well. They keep doing exciting stuff and, and our metrics like them. Uh, FC Dallas, not bad, not a bad team. Houston, again, I don't know uh, really how to kind of uh, describe what's happening to them, but they, they're so strong attacking wise. They've got probably, um, well, easily our, our metrics favorite player in Albert Elise. Um, but they're not winning games <laughs> a lot. Uh, they, so I think they they are suffering from the fact that they have a defense that has huge pieces missing out of it, right? So yeah. they've kind of gone. Um, they've they've relied heavily upon their attack, which is fine. And it's honestly, it's been a we will outshoot you, and that's cool. I'm. It's a good strategy for a team it's like been Houston. A great strategy for them because they have an a, a incredibly dynamic front three. I mean, everybody talks about you know L.A. Galaxy, but Houston has probably one one of the best front threes. At least uh, Kyoto and Manotas are all. Very, very uh, strong players, according to our metrics. And uh, they passed the eye test, too. They're just a very dynamic team. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, Thomas Martinez, at least last two games, has kind of looked like yeah. he's been, uh, been maybe not what they expected as a number 10, but he's been trending positively. Mm-hmm. I'd say so. I'd say so. I, I think that was always kind of the, the piece in that puzzle that was work in progress. Uh, Houston also getting back uh, uh, Cabezas. Um, here shortly, and I think that that will only help with the the defensive side of the ball yeah. as well. Yeah, no, totally, completely agree. Um, that's that's got to be something that's that they have to figure out something to to shore up that defense because right now, um, it, it's kind of a mess. Um, that back defense, and you know they traded for Jared Watts. Watts um hasn't been able to stay healthy, hasn't been able to get healthy since going back to Houston. So, you know, they've been trying to fill in that right back spot. They're having to move Machado out, out to that full back spot, which is not what they want to do. Yeah, or Wenger, which is something they'd rather have. Well, I mean, Wenger was on the left side uh, on Friday. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's it's definitely been uh, Dylan Remick doesn't look like, uh, you know. He's hurt too. He's yeah. hurt. Um yeah, they, I was looking at the, the injury list on, on Major League Soccer, like I think they have some obscene amount of in, like six to eight defenders injured. It's it's not a good scene there uh, at that back four right now. But the fact that they're able to kind of slide these guys back around and 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 do as well as they are, I mean, three three and three is not, you know, it's not world, it's not it's not, it's not mind blowing. But but considering you know the absences, uh, I think a lot of teams would love to be able to do that, missing that many uh, defenders. So. All right, look. So real fast, real fast, okay, if, I can, okay. if I can. 
we added Dallas in there and I think we kind of threw Dallas in there for aesthetics purposes. Uh, I know I did just because Dallas kind of came off a big, uh, has come off a couple of big wins and a lot of people are kind of cheering them on because of some of uh, Oscar Pereira's moves. Our metrics still very much dislike Dallas and, and what they've done over the past, um, over the past, what, month. So um, over the last two weeks, at least, they're still in the negative and expected goals. They're really high in PDO. Um, I'm on the fence with them. That being said, I think they have probably a better look right now to them than, say, uh, anybody else uh, in that cluster. So So let's look at if we put those four in the playoffs right now that, that we said, SKC, LEFC, mm-hmm. FC, Dallas, and Houston Dynamo, that leaves two spots for some, I'm not going to say garbage. I think garbage is a little harsh. Uh, <laughs> some middling teams. Let's say middling. Um, I, I think Portland probably gets one of those spots. I, I think, uh, you know, but this, this kind of like brings about the question, like what about Minnesota? Like they're up there in points per game. Yeah, no, uh, they they really are. And one of the things that I get kind of excited about is the fact that, you know, relative to everybody else, their PDO isn't egregious, um, although I guess it is a little bit high. Um, additionally, they're just throwing some goals up, man. They've been throwing some shots up. That's kind of where I'm tying them to. Their defense is going to be garbage. And the question is whether or not Christian Ramirez, whether or not, um, you know, Darwin Quintero, um, Miguel Ibarra, can these guys just completely, you know, a la Houston, um, fire their way into the playoffs? And I think that the, we're not there yet to really having that serious conversation, but I think that it needs to be brought up. I mean, there's there's seriously some, there is a potential for them to to be kind of out of nowhere throwing some stuff up. Well, and I mean, like, looking at, Nobody in the West has lost more games. Um, and that's just kind of what's going to happen to Minnesota. Like, you're not going to... I feel like the teams that kind of hit those spots are the teams that, that lose games but also find ways to turn some of those losses into draws. And thus far, Minnesota has been completely unable to kind of rescue games late in that kind of way. Um, they certainly have an interesting attack. They certainly do. Uh, I wonder what the whole... Like, I feel like they signed defenders... Uh, a couple of, you know, Cameroonians, uh, a Brazilian. Like, in fact, they signed these defenders and defensive midfielders in the offseason. And I just don't know whatever happened to them. Like, they just, they never play. So, like, I'm just a little confused about that. They've got a new winger that seems pretty good, Alexi Gomez. Um, I think he's, uh, you know, in the two games he's played, I think he's slotted in well uh, over on where Sam Nicholson was. Um I think that the trading for Eric Miller was an interesting move. And I, I don't know. I see a lot to like about them. I really, I, I, li- a, I really like Eric Miller. Yeah. I have a soft spot for, for, for the Loons. And you know this. Uh, I wish them the best of luck in all these things. Uh, but I, I just don't know if they're there yet. I don't I, I can't. You want me to Dude, say they that are, they have a better they chance? The absolute, they are the absolute wild card. And that's what makes them fun to root for, right? They have no business being... Uh, let's just say it, They have no business. Francisco Calvo, who's going to a World Cup, is their best defender and has been awful as their team captain the last three weeks. Yeah, that's but, been problematic. But... There is enough there that has kind of suggested that maybe they can overachieve. If Seattle continues to have injuries and Will Bruin looks like he's out for another three, uh, two months, three months. Um, so I mean, yeah, I they're, they're without a striker and Seattle's defense has not been good. San Jose has been middling at best. And really, to be perfectly honest, Minnesota should have beat San Jose this past weekend. So oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. I, I mean, these are the groundwork is laid ahead for Minnesota to luck into that last spot, and right now that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about them. But you're you're beating. putting them, yeah. You're putting them over like what the Galaxy? Come on, I got Slotin. The Galaxy, like they're gonna put points together. They can't keep falling apart like this. I, you know, I don't know. So I think the Galaxy are pretty much going to have to do what Minnesota is doing. It's it's going to be um, who can outslug who. And going down the rest of the way, I think that Ziggy Schmidt is not optimizing LA. Like if you just told me, hey, it's whoever has the best 
offensive talent that's going to get those fifth and sixth seeds. Well, hey, Galaxy probably have it then. But the problem is, is they keep moving guys like Ola Kamara. And they, this was pointed out by Taylor Twelman. Like, they're using Ola Kamara out wide. So when, you know, Zlatan's asking for service, guess what? He's not going to get the what he expects from a guy that's traditionally a striker. And not only that, but th- this is one thing. This is too. the brilliant of Greg Berhalter, right? Greg yeah. Berhalter was able to minimize the problems with Ola Kamara, one of which is his passing. He's not good. This is going to be in lowered expectations. And I kind of went into a little bit about this, but he's dropping further back. He's at the, he's picking his average north-south uh, position uh, for a pass is at the 60 percentile on the field, whereas the last three years it's been 65 or over. You know, this is this is such a Shiggy Schmidt move too, doing this exact thing because he did it in Seattle too. Remember, he put guys <laughs> like Nate Jaqua on the wing and Sebastian Letu, like these forwards. These like very quickly, these are strikers. He'd have them out on the wing. I think he just wants to get the most talented people he can on the field, and I respect that. But yeah, this is a problem. This is not something you should be doing. Well, and, and on top of that, when you have guys like Ashley Cole, who, uh, no disrespect, Ashley Cole, even this year, has still been very good. But when he's having to cover all this ground for 90 minutes, those last 20 minutes of that game, he's gassed. That defense, that central yeah. defense is not good. Perry Kitchen cannot continue to cover that amount of ground. They don't have Jonathan Dos Santos. So now when you bring the guy like Ola Kamara, who's making risky passes and according to our metrics for the last three years has been bad at making said risky pass, you're turning the ball over in the midfield with a tired defense. That's going to hurt you. Yeah. Minnesota, at least with Minnesota, they're doing this sort of possession-based uh, approach tactics with guys that actually excel in it. Ibsen really kind of excels. Uh, Rasmus Schuler really excels. Miguel Abara. This is these are these guys bread and butter. And while they have a week a week like <laughs> less than you know uh, weeks old cookies defensive crust <laughs> you like, say you're saying they crumble easily yes thank okay. you <laughs> all right <laughs> yeah look their defense is not good but it's not as if they're not aware of it the la galaxy is still completely obsessed that they've that they're just fine they just have a couple things that they need to uh tweak and the problem is is it feels like they have the lights off and they're searching for their car keys in this gigantic room Yes, the car keys are in that room, but are they actually going to find it? And do we think that they have no disrespect to Siggy Schmidt? He's a great soccer mind. I think he has a lot of really smart things that he says. I don't know if he can fix this. And I don't know if this is if he has anybody on his coaching staff that can help him. And it might not be, uh, I think, that any kind of head coach can fix. This might be like a personnel issue or a roster issue, the way that they've kind of built this team. It's very top-heavy, and that's been apparent for a while now. Um, it's an interesting question. I, I, I definitely am curious about the LA Galaxy. Again, we do have another transfer window in the middle of this whole thing. And they but bring they have a couple no money, defenders. Ian. They well, have they, no money. They apparently have plenty of money. They have plenty of money to spend on these players. Well, I, I mean, okay, so you can, your owner can have pockets, but, you know, in MLS, that doesn't help you if you don't have, They got you know, Zlatan Ibrahimovic on a TAM contract. I'm sure they can work they out getting in a couple 90%, of defenders. They, they, they had <laughs> to on. have used up 90% of their TAM to get him in there. There's no money in the budget unless they are going, and, and I don't want to say that they couldn't do this. This is, this would be something that would, they would have to do. They're going to have to part with one of their DPs, which... Uh, it, I mean, I have I have an idea that should be <laughs> right. Um, the other side of it is uh, somebody like uh, Roman Alessandrini, um, and this was pitched on ETR. You know, is there a player that you could give up in that attacking group that could net you somebody, an average defender in this league? Does Emmanuel Boateng go to a team that could fi- that could catch you? some sort of central defender. No, I don't think so. Probably not. But I mean, then again, I mean, it depends on what you want. Yeah. I don't want to say anything bad that people are going to email me or text me about later, but (laughs) all right, let's, let's, let's move on from the LA galaxy. Let's move on from the LA galaxy. 
let's go east for a second. We've 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 dissected the West. We picked the four best teams we think right now. We're still unsure about the the other two. They're going to fill those last playoff spots, and we should be. It's a it's a mess right now. There's there's very little sense in, in what's going on. There's a lot of noise back down there, and a lot of like weird, uh, extenuating circumstances and you know unknown qualities and things like that up in the air. So let's let's do something a little more hypothetical, even more hypothetical, Harrison. And it's getting less hypothetical by the day. You and I have a disagreement on something. Yes, we do. Uh, I don't. I don't. I don't want to say it's a disagreement because it, it, it. We we can disagree on things, but I. I don't think that this is such. We're so at odds with one another on this. Uh, and that is, this is the big thing that we're talking about this week, and that kind of just furthers my point of why this is important for DC United to do. Um, Wayne Rooney, uh, coming from Everton to DC United, uh, I won't say it's a done deal because these things can get hijacked for a number of reasons. Um, but it, 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 there's an awful lot of smoke here. Uh, uh, there, there's got to be some fire to this one. So uh, I guess the question I have for you is, let's take the business side of things away from this, which I um, I think is maybe where our disagreement is, is how much like that's important for DC to have this kind of guy that would sell tickets. Footballing, sorry, he's English, so I just said footballing like a like a Brit. Uh, <laughs> Soccer-wise, uh, as soon as I start talking about Wayne Rooney, I'm just, oi, mate. Uh, Soccer-wise, the DC United attack is terrible. Wayne Rooney is a good attacker. What's the problem here? Okay, so you said they're DC's terrible attack, and and... Yeah, that's moderately true, right? Um, they have good attacking pieces. They have interesting attacking pieces. Maybe not even good. We'll say interesting, just so that we can kind of all rest. And let's throw let's throw my boy Patrick Mullins out the window. Let's let's not even. They have no interest in utilizing him. They need a striker. How does Wayne Rooney fit into a counterattacking schema? Well, I mean, Wayne Rooney, I don't want to talk about his... I know the big narrative is that like, he doesn't have knees, that his legs are gone. Well, and... Wayne Rooney is like... I've watched Wayne Rooney a lot throughout his career. Wayne Rooney is a like bundle of energy. That dude scampers about. Like He's got a great head for the sport. Like He can pass the ball extremely well. He's played at central midfield. He's played at number 10 for United and England. Like... There's a spot for him to like hold up the ball and move it around. Like that's something he can, that's definitely still within his skill set. Yeah, I, I and look, I just don't think I, I I totally I don't I'm not disagreeing with you. I don't think he could be an impact player on DC United. I think that it's not at that number nine spot though, right? And I think that we both can oh, marginally agree at that, right? So he's yeah. going to probably be that 10, which means that Lu uh, Luciano Costa really doesn't factor into the starting uh, lineup at this point in time. Or he goes so, wide. I mean, he could go wide. I don't think you put him wide. Because um, really, his his value is on the ball. Yeah. So well, taking him off the ball and then expecting him to play some defense. So him playing that ten, um, he he's playing behind the ball in that in that system. But he's not necessarily all he's doing is applying pressure. He's not necessarily trying to win that ball back, right? Or push him forward. I mean, like there's there's other things you could like. I guess my point is that like, as good as Luciano Acosta is, and I do think he's good. I don't think that you do things to cater to Luciano Acosta at this point if you're DC United because it's not working. That's, like that and, and that's and that's that's probably fair, right? Like he's probably at this stage shown that he's not going to be able to carry um, them to whatever th that next step is, right? And let's look at these other players in this formation. Look at Emil Assad. He's been very very underwhelming. Uh, Par Ariola has been very underwhelming. Yeah, you know, Assad's, yeah, what's, you know going, what? what's going on with that? Let's talk. Let's talk about. It. Let's camp uh, there let me, for a second. Let me tell you. Let me let me bring out a little interesting factoid for you. Uh, Kendall Washington, who we were talking about earlier. Yes, I'm, I'm aware of that man. X expected goals plus expected assists for 96. Better than both Emil Assad and Paul Ariola. That's not great, Bob. It's not great for DC United. Like, this isn't working. So, like, when you say, well, why would Wayne Rudy 
picture, you know, what, why put him in this DC United scheme? Why did DC United keep this scheme at all? Trust well, because that, because that's what they have. I mean, all right. So you're not going to enter one player and completely change their lineup. I I, I, I don't think they're just going to buy one player. I wouldn't if I were like trying oh, to no, spend for that uh, team. And everybody said this. Like I, I, we're not alone in this. The if you make the Rooney deal, you have to make other deals. And to be perfectly honest, I don't think that their attack is a is as big of a problem as everybody says. I think where they should be spending money, and this is my personal opinion, and we've talked a little bit about it, you and Jared talked a little bit about it, is on the back end. Their defense is terrible. Their expected goals against is terrible. They can, I mean, there's room to spend money on every position on that field for them. Like, I, I would not limit it to like back front. Like, they've got max TAM, they've probably got max allocation money. Like, they've got some room to move some things around and make this roster a lot better. I wouldn't just focus it on one part of the field. They need help all over. Well, right. But if you're going to, I mean, let's say they're going to go get three DPs, right? Where are those three DPs? Because if Rooney's one of them, then your nine has to be your second one, at least in my opinion. Because you have to get a, di- you're gonna have to get somebody that can play with Rooney. Because if Rooney's coming on, you can he's get that your as 10. a Tam guy. You can get that as a Tam guy. Sure, probably, probably. Yeah, I mean, I'm but just making things you, up is, right is now. That, <laughs> I don't know. Well, yeah, I so I mean, look, you look at the teams that have u- utilized um, Tam to get starting caliber attacking talent, right? Um, yeah. NYCFC's done it. Portland's done it. Um, Heck, Seattle's still floating with Will Bruin, who's not even on a TAM deal. Um, it, it's it it, it exists. You got a guy that you like Ikram or Rodriguez, like for Seattle, like those kind of TAM guys. Those guys would be very welcome in DC, assuming that they were healthy. <laughs> uh, you know, and it, it's it, it's one of the, like yeah, I don't see why you got to like make it like like put a guy get a South American to play and as a as a holding midfielder like get get a get a defensive midfielder like just do all of those things they need to do all of these things and I don't know that's going to happen this window uh but but I do think it, if this owner if this new owner is serious about this it needs to happen over the next two windows at least and I I, I don't see like why going ahead and getting Rooney right now getting that attention getting people back into the stadium getting this team to be talked about and relevant again people getting excited about it like that's that's important for this franchise. And I know that that doesn't fit well in our like analytical box, but just that's important. Like that team needs to feel yeah, but, okay, and be relevant. But you say that. So you say that, but what is the price of adding? I mean, it doesn't it's fit $12 well. $12 million. Dollars, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, is that, is that true? What is the price of, uh, of one extra pair of eyeballs with that? And then if, uh, the question is, can you do that through TAM dollars? I, I mean, think, the, I, I, I think gonna, that like, there's, there's I think definitely that people a more, are looking at this a different. Uh, there are different ways to look at this. Than obviously, strictly. there's a more efficient way to spend the money than on Wayne Rooney. Obviously, I don't necessarily think that that that's like you can spend if you, if it is twelve million dollars, and I don't think it's twelve million dollars. By the way, like English papers, I don't think yeah, I don't think so. They overshoot that amount in reports all the time just to like sell papers and drive narratives. They're the worst about that. Um, well, most of the the talk from uh, Twitter is that it's about three to four, right? Yeah, as a contract, it's like three to four million dollar contract. Like, like there's probably better ways to spend that money. Like, there's more efficient ways certainly to spend that money and spread it out further. I don't know that that's what DC United needs right now. I think they kind of need this blockbuster. I, I, I think from that that organization's perspective, you have to keep in mind that like they're not just trying to like like they could maybe like is it worth spending the money more efficiently and finishing sixth? And nobody still cares about DC United. And nobody comes to the new stadium after a couple of weeks. Or is it better to spend a lot of money and get people talking yeah, about DC United and make that like a more systematic thing? Yeah, but you're starting from the place that DC doesn't have fans or isn't. They do uh, have fans. They do. I mean, they're drawing really regularly pretty well from what my understanding, or at least from the reporting numbers. They're reporting very high. Fair enough. You can look at the stadium. You can look at the stadium. I don't know. I don't think we're going to be able to wrap this one up this week, but it's an interesting conversation. And it's just why, like, I kind of feel like I'm a little annoyed at what I perceive to be some real soccer hipsterdom about this. Uh, and I just think it's like, it's Wayne Rooney. 
Yeah, he did I, win and, Rooney. And, and I think Ray, Wayne Rooney is still a very impa- uh, impact-level player within yeah. MLS. My question is, how long is he that impact player? And can DC, in that span of time, get a team together and transition it away from what they're doing? Because I don't think R- Wayne Rooney fits what they're doing right now. And I think that you're just going to have he's, a lot of frustration that stems from it. He's 32. He's not 100. He's not... He's not like that's there's a lot of MLS yeah, players he, that are older. He has oh and this was pointed out uh by Matt Doyle. He has over I think it was like fifty five thousand minutes on his legs, which is more than what David Villa had when he came yeah. to MLS. Like he has more minutes on his legs than Robbie Keane had when he came to MLS. This isn't where he might be 32, but he's not a young 32, right? Like he's been playing for 16 years. Semantics. I I just, yeah, I feel like we're just like making so many value judgment on Wayne Rooney's fitness that like, I don't think people are like really qualified. Uh, Yeah, sure, 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 sure. And I'm not trying to say that I'm not trying to comment on his fitness. What I'm looking at is from a probabilistic perspective, how long can you expect someone that this many minutes and, you know, even including, you know, the fact that he's had knee surgeries and, and he could be in perfect health right now. I honestly don't know. Maybe he is. But looking at it and saying, if he comes in July 1st, August 1st, yeah, July 1st, uh, if he comes in July 1st, open window, bam. 10th, I think. But yeah. He's completely healthy, ready to go. How long is he good for? I mean, I imagine he'd be good for, you know, that span from July to, or maybe even August to kind of spin up with the team from August until October. What about the year following? How many, how much time is he going to have off? How are you going to restructure the team in that same time span? There's just a lot of variables and I'm not completely down. I'm not completely down on it. I, I think that there is some validity to having Wayne Rooney on this team. And like I said, I think he's an impact level talent. DC United is not a playoff team. Simply adding Wayne Rooney. No, I will agree with you there. I don't think that that is the guy. I also don't think there's any one player that DC United could sign and become a playoff team. Also, if DC United could send Acosta to another MLS team because he's 23 and I'd really like to see him still in MLS. Yeah. I, well, I think I'll, talk, I, I'll, I'll talk to him. I'll see okay. what I can do. Yeah, please. <laughs> we talk. Um, we got to go. Right. Sorry. I, we got to go. We, we talked so long about all these things. We didn't even get to salaries. Next week is salary week. Next week we talk about salaries. Um, it's fun because we get to make value judgments on people. Uh, and strangers not knowing anything about people's budgets. So that is a good time for us, right? Hey, they can't see what we make. That's true. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> that is true. Uh, and a good thing for that as well. Um, all right. Let's go. Let's call it all a day. Right. Thank you, Harrison. Uh, welcome back to the show. Uh, you know, it's uh, I missed you, buddy. I did. I love Jared. Yeah, this was fun. This I, I missed was fun. you. You know? Uh, Thank you, everyone, uh, for listening. Uh, my name is uh, Ian. And you can find me on Twitter at a handle for Ian. Uh, and on weekends, if you want to uh, see match day gifts and commentary from me, just check out at Total MLS. Uh, follow American Soccer uh, Analysis on Twitter at Analysis Evolved. Find Harrison on Twitter at Harrison underscore Crow. Uh, please visit our website, www.americansocceranalysis.com. A lot of content going up these days from Harrison, from me, uh, from some other talented writers, Jared. Uh, you know, I, we've just been in like a real rich vein of content lately. So point your browsers in that direction. Check it out. Be the smartest soccer fan on your block. Unless like, I don't know, Brian Dunseth is on your block. You might be no less about soccer than him. But otherwise, just, you know, you'll be the smartest person. Uh, thanks again for listening. Enjoy the soccer. We'll see you next week.
城。